You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Tuesday, February 13th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn. Oh, look, somebody called me. Who was it? Oh, it's my wife. I better call her back. I'm sorry, just trying to manage the small army of soccer and baseball players that I have. Also, my girls are taking acting classes. Acting classes! If you want to dramatize it. I think I could have been an actor. There's a lot of things I could have been, but I'm a director of financial planning and analytics. Which is not too bad. I have one of those fake full shows for you today, so no one wrote in again with a question, but I still have one leftover question that someone sent in to Protestia tonight when I was on there with David, and I want to answer that. So if you listen to both shows, too bad, you're going to hear me answer this question twice. Oh well. It's a good question, I think. I'm getting called by a particular red light, and it's frustrating because I never, I don't know if I've ever gotten caught by this red light on the way home. This is, this is what Skip Carey would call, call an inauspicious start. Superstitious people would call it downright ominous. But anyway, nobody wrote anything in, but I've got a question. The question is about if somebody is in sin about some certain issue, will they still go to heaven? Very interesting. Today's show title is He's Got Us. Not He Gets Us. He's Got Us. Which, by the way, I think is grammatically incorrect. He is got us. He has got us. He has us would be grammatically correct but he's got us is it sounds better it's more pleasing to the ear he's got us he's got the whole world in his hands see he's got he has got he has got he has what he has I don't think he has got is is the is grammatically correct but he's got us by the way if you like that Trademark. I trademarked he's got us today. <sighs> or I applied for the trademark. It's going to take the government six months to approve the trademark. Just like they did when I trademarked Christian Commute. I trademarked Christian Commute because some other dudes entitled their podcast Christian Commute. I was like, I better trademark this. The other guys were nice about it. They're like, well, we'll stop using it. We'll use something else. They didn't do it regularly anyway. And I wrote him an email. I was like, who are you? Because I'm the guy from Christian Commute. So, he's got us. He's got us.org. We'll get to that later. Today's Bible chapter review is from Matthew chapter 27 from verses 50 to I forgot to write down the ending verses. Let's just say it's four. I don't know. It's almost to the end. 
every once in a while I'll do that. I'll get back from lunch. In case you were wondering, I again went to fake Western Sizzling today and got a sirloin steak and a baked potato and the same the cherry cobbler, the same lunch that I have every single day. Very predictable. If anybody wants to assassinate me, show up to that fake Western Sizzling in Dalton, I will eventually come in. Oh, it's really sunny. Can't see. But, and I got back from lunch, and sometimes I start that, and I get distracted by something like, you know, my job, and I forget to write down the ending of Bible verses. But we're starting at 50 for sure. Oh, why am I yawning? I'm hungry. You know what? When you eat a nice, sensible six-ounce sirloin for lunch, you end up pretty hungry soon. Six ounces is, uh, that's not a lot of calories. As good as it is. I don't want to start the Bible chapter review, but I'm just, I'm not in a position to. I usually do it while one of these lights turns red. Well, everything is backwards. I usually get the green light over there back behind me, and I can't, here we go, I caught a red light. Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they entered the holy after this resurrection they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Now I think that does say coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. Sorry. Anyway, that's verse 50 to whatever. So what's going on here? When we left off, Jesus was saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Referring to Psalm 20. I think he knew he was about to die. Somebody gave him a drink of sour wine because he was thirsty as he died. And here Jesus dies. It says he yielded up his spirit. If you've ever wondered where the phrase give up the ghost comes from, it's from right here in Matthew 27. In the King James they translate yielded up his spirit to give up the ghost. So that's where that common phrase comes from, to give up the ghost, means to die. And we use it for anything. I, my dad threw away his vacuum the other day, and I said, your vacuum give up the ghost? But Jesus yielded up his spirit. Well, who's he yielding his spirit to? God the Father. I think that's implied. But he, he dies. His body dies, so he yielded up his spirit. The Greek there is pneuma translated as ghost we say holy spirit in modern english king james says holy ghost but the greek word there is pneuma which means air it's where we get our word for, for pneumatic all right lots of things going on here that are cosmic so remember the sun it's it's three o'clock and it's dark it's it's the hot part of the day what should be the sunniest part of the day and the sun is darkened while Jesus is on the cross. And now there's an earthquake. Matthew says the earth shook and the rocks are split. And as this is happening, 
specifically as Jesus is dying, the veil in the temple is rent. It's torn in two, top to bottom. So in the temple that they had there, and this is per the specifications you find in the Old Testament for the tabernacle, there, there are sections of the temple, and there's one called the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be. I think they had lost the Ark by this point. Uh, the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be. It's, it's where the manifest presence of God is supposed to be, and you're not allowed to go in there. In fact, nobody is allowed to go in there except the high priest once a year to make atonement. And there is a curtain to separate this part of the temple from the rest of the temple. The parts of the temple where people can walk around freely every day. Not Gentiles, though. Hold on. Let me, let me pass this green Lexus in the middle lane. That's right, I'm passing you in the middle lane. Because you're just going merrily, slowly on your way. Not even paying attention. Love your neighbor, Green Lexus. <sighs> the, the, the temple. There was a curtain. Alright. The veil. What is it veil? It veils the manifest presence of God. And there's a separation there. Nobody gets into the presence of God. And there must be a priest who is a go-between. Between the people of God and God. I'm going to repeat that. There has to be a high priest who is a go-between between the people of God and God. Now, what is the significance of this curtain ripping in two during the blackout or the eclipse and the earthquake? Jesus dying on the cross makes atonement for sins past, present, and future. And Jesus, as later scriptures tell us, is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's a greater order than the order of Aaron. He is an eternal high priest, and now atonement has been made. The types and shadows of the Old, co old Covenant have been fulfilled in Jesus. And now we are reconciled to God, and we no longer need that curtain of separation. And we don't need a high priest to go back and forth for us. Because Jesus is our, is our high priest. And he's died for our sins. The sins are paid for. We can now, because our sins are paid for, figuratively stand in the presence of God. There's no need for that temple anymore. Because now God tabernacles with us. The Holy Spirit is going to come to live in us after Jesus ascends. But the sacrificial system is now obsolete. Notice I say obsolete. It's not bad. It's just not needed anymore. It's no longer necessary because everything is fulfilled in Christ. No need for that temple. No need for that veil. God was making a statement there. That's why It's a theological statement. And that's why Matthew includes it in his gospel. And I think it's interesting that it doesn't say it was ripped from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. It's God who ripped that curtain. 
There's an earthquake, and here's another thing that's a big deal. Sometimes this gets missed, just kind of glossed over. I've never really heard much of a sermon about it. There's not the text doesn't say a whole lot about it. And it, this this event is not mentioned in the other gospels. The tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They entered the holy city and appeared to many. So we know Jesus is going to be resurrected three days later, and he's going to appear to his disciples, and then later uh, 500 or so people. And last of all, to Paul, we, we, we have that in 1 Corinthians 15, how Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. But not only was Jesus raised, but other dead saints were raised as a witness to this event, the crucifixion event and the atonement. So there are other tombs which were open and people who were dead, believers who were dead, which would have been faithful Jews at the time. i got to pass somebody else. Hold on. Come on. Don't speed up. Some of these people will speed up when you're trying to do it. <sighs> okay. Have you noticed that certain ethnicities drive slower than others? And the ethnicity behind me is one of the slower driving ones. I don't know why that is. Speaking of ethnicities, faithful Jews would have been the people who were resurrected here. So you see other people coming out of the tomb. So they were raised. But people, people, um, people get pretty chintzy about the verbs you want to use here. Because lots of people came back from the dead in the Bible, not just Jesus. And then they, like Lazarus, came back from the dead. And all these people died later. We want to differentiate between what we could call a raising or resuscitation. Between a re that and a raising, that's a resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus, he doesn't die later. He's resurrected into his resurrection body. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And we're all going to get a resurrection body and live together in the new Jerusalem with God in, at the completion of the eschaton. Now, these people that were raised here, I don't know if they died again or went back to their tombs or what. But there's nothing in the text to lead us to believe that they, were, they ascended into heaven like Jesus did. But the, the raising of these people was yet another witness to the power of God over Jesus' life and the significance of his crucifixion and later resurrection. And Matthew says they're coming out of the tombs after his resurrection and they went to G uh, Jerusalem and witnessed the people. Now, in this, at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't resurrected yet, but the people reading of the story know how the story ends. And even, we'd call it foreshadowing if we were writing a book. Jesus has already foreshadowed, it's prophecy, it's prophecy in his case, to the disciples that he's going to be handed over and he's going to be raised after three days. But these people who were raised appeared to many others. By the way, here's a piece of trivia for you. Not really exegesis from the Bible. Just a piece of trivia. There is a... A Christian apologist named Michael Lycona, and he, North American Mission Board used to certify 
apologist. Like you could be a certified NAM apologist. Like you're an official Southern Baptist apologist. And the guy over that apologetics ministry of NAM was Michael Lycana. And he was quietly removed from that. He wrote a book about the Gospels. It's an apologetics book. And in his book, he mentions that this statement here could be some kind of apocalyptic statement and isn't meant to be taken as literally true. Because while you have lots of accounts of Jesus' resurrection, namely the other Gospels, there's not really mention in ancient documents of, of these people being resurrected or raised or whatever word you want to use and, and witness and being witnesses in Jerusalem. Not really mentioned in any other sources. So Mr. Apologist Lycana is like, well, you don't have to take this literally. It could be apocalyptic. It could be an apocalyptic statement. By the way, the only other apocalyptic books in the Bible are basically parts of Daniel and then Revelation. Revelation is an apocalypse. All right, thank you for getting over Pennsylvania, Nissan Altima, so I don't have to pass you in the middle lane. And I'm just gonna—I'm not gonna give—I'm not gonna glare at this person as I drive by because they're kind. My traction control's off again. I don't even. That makes me very nervous in an old car. I didn't even know this car had traction control. It's a crappy car. But, I don't know, why is that a problem? I guess I'll just drive more carefully. As if I'm not already careful. But Lacana got dismissed for basically... It's, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say it's a shot at the inerrancy of Scripture. But just his overall apologetic method is not very well respected by a lot of conservative scholars. I think William Lane Craig's the kind of guy who'd let Lacana get away from this. Craig's mentioned it himself. But basically, I want to say not believing in the literal raising of these people um, got Lacana dismissed from that position. And this is a show supposedly about apologetics because I have a master's in that. That's not where I'd go. I'd say, listen, the Bible says it. It fits in with the motif of of witnesses to a resurrection. And elsewhere in Scripture, people have been resurrected. What's wrong with this? I know it's not mentioned anywhere else. I know it seems pretty odd. It's somehow fundamentally different than Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. But Matthew says it happens. So, why wouldn't, why would we why would we try to back off this? And I think I think people try to back off of it because if you're in a debate on the resurrection, somebody's like, "Oh, these people are in the tombs, you know, were they walking around like mummies? Had their their skeletons, you know, they they like Bart Ehrman or somebody like that will make a big theatrical point about it. Like, All right, it says what it says. It's a miracle, you know. The whole world flooded once. It's not up to me to explain how the trees lived underwater. The world flooded. It's a miracle. Okay? Supernatural stuff is different than other stuff. Now I'm passing somebody else. I'm not going unusually fast, I promise you. It's just these people are slow drivers in the lead sets. Really, like I said, it was a really odd, ominous day from the first red light. 
All right, moving on from getting Michael Lycana fired. And by the way, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've never met him. I might like him personally. I don't like Michael Lycana as an apologist. I don't think he's a very good one. I'm not, I'm not a fan of his southern son-in-law either. Former southern-in-law. Now the centurion who was keeping watch over Jesus, the people that were with him, when they saw all this going down, even this guy recognized, truly, this was the Son of God. Now the centurion, he, he's all, all likely a pagan Roman. He could have viewed Jesus as Hercules, as a son, a son of a god, like the son of Zeus. Cause, but even he recognized that there's something more to Jesus, the guy on the cross here, because nature itself is seemingly upset about what's going on with the darkness and the earthquakes. And then Jesus died, and with that we'll end the Bible chapter review. We are very close. I think there's one verse left in Matthew chapter 27. And then the last book is Matthew chapter 28. We're finally going to get to the Great Commission on the Christian commute. And with that, we'll end the Bible chapter review. If you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics, please send it to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Now it's my turn to get out of somebody's way in the left lane. This person wants to go faster than me. I think he wants to go dangerously fast, but I'm going to let him by because I am not a selfish, judgmental jerk. On your way. Volkswagen Artihan. I don't think I've ever seen a Volkswagen Artihan before. Oh, now, now this person, I think it's a woman, now, now she's stuck behind another slow driver in the left lane. Hey, I got over for you. Don't you wish everyone was like me? Hey, you left lane people, when you're thinking of Seth, he gets us. Yeah, he gets us. All right. Let's go to the empty inbox. The empty inbox, because I told you I was going to take a question from, uh, what's David's show? Protestia Tonight. Why don't you just keep calling it the Polemics Report? Anyway, Protestia Tonight. Somebody wrote in and they asked me on there. They said, Seth, you wrote that Alistair Begg article. And remember, Alistair Begg is famous for saying, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Surely you've seen this clip of Alistair Begg preaching a sermon. And he gives this uh, situation where... The thief on the cross besides Jesus died. Hey, we're right here in Matthew 27. He goes to heaven. He's trying to get in the gates. And they're saying, well, why should we let you in? You know, do you, do you know your systematic theology? No, I don't, I don't. Can you explain the hypostatic union? Never heard of it. Uh, can uh, you explain the Trinity? Don't know what that is. You know, uh, do you know Hebrew? No, I sure don't. Well, why should we let you into heaven? The man on the middle cross said I could come. Right. And the point of that is you don't have to be some scholar and know every biblical doctrine to go to heaven as long as the man on the middle cross said you could come. That's Jesus because that's what Jesus says to that guy. Truly I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. That's from Luke. The man on the middle cross said I could come. And when we all get to heaven, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if anybody asks, well, how did you get in here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. Okay. It's very poignant, very powerful. People like that. 
And what I said at the end of my article where I said we need to cancel Alistair Begg is just because he's wrong on this doesn't mean he can't go to heaven. The man on the middle cross could still let him into heaven. And somebody wrote me, or wrote David, and said, I want to ask this about Seth, given that he, or to Seth, given that he wrote that. If Begg never recants or repents of giving this woman the sinful advice to attend the transgender gay wedding or whatever it was, quote-unquote gay wedding, uh, will he still go to heaven? And my answer was, well, I don't, I don't know. That's really not my call to make. As a Baptist, I really only technically have to recognize the people in my own local church and affirm them as brothers. I will take the confession at face value of other Christians, whether they be nationally known people or just run-of-the-mill everyday people who are outside my local church. I have no reason to doubt that they're a Christian brother, and a lot of times I can sense some cornea fellowship with those people. But I, don't, I really don't have to make a judgment on this. If this happened at my church, I would hope that Alexander Begg would be put under church discipline, and if he didn't repent of this sinful advice he gave to this woman, saying it was okay, even encouraging the woman to attend a gay wedding, that he would be disfellowshipped. And that goes for any sin through any Matthew 18 process. I don't think that process is going to happen at his church. It's up to God who gets into heaven. So I really don't want to sit around making yay or nay judgments on people. I will say this. You can be theologically wrong, very badly theologically wrong, as Beg is here, and still go to heaven. I mean, think about it like this. We're supposed to get baptized, right? Jesus said to do it. Is it a sin not to get baptized? I mean, which Ten Commandments are you violating if you don't get baptized? Somebody might say, all right, you're not supposed to have any God before Jesus and or before Yahweh, who is Jesus is Yahweh, and if you don't do what he says, you're putting something, even yourself, before him. All right? If you, if you want to define sin, hamartia, as missing the mark, if the mark is get baptized, was it a sin not to get baptized if you get saved? Well, Presbyterians never get baptized because they have the wrong theology of baptism. Are they all going to go to hell because they're wrong? No. I don't see any reason to believe that. So, you know, if Alistair Begg got hit by a bus today, I don't, I don't think Jesus would say, well, you were wrong about something theologically, so you're going to go to hell because you never repented or recanted of that. I mean, that's, I don't think that, but I'm really, I don't, I'm not going to say one way or the other. That's, uh, and listen, that's a church discipline process. It's never going to happen because all you know, all his big time friends can call him, like Al Mohler can email him, and John MacArthur can say, call him and say, hey, you know, you, you're wrong, but I don't know if his local church is ever going to uh, reprimand him for that. So he'll probably never recant of that, and he'll probably go to heaven anyway. How about that? That's my guess, but I don't, I don't know one way or the other. But that's the point. You're saved from your sins by repenting. That's what they sing in six-year-old vacation Bible school. A, admit that you're a sinner and repent. B, believe. C, confess. There's a little song. Admit, believe, confess. Okay? If he legitimately believes in Jesus and legitimately repented of his sin, just because he's committed some other sin and then dies before having repented of it, doesn't mean he'll go to hell. I mean, isn't that what the Catholics believe about um, 
cardinal sins somewhat that if you die outside of a state of grace that you at least go to purgatory before somebody pays off your your sin debt you know you got the venial sins and the cardinal sins and you don't want to die in a state of sin having committed a cardinal sin without absolution from the magisterium It's already been cosmically decided in eternity past whether Alistair Begg goes to heaven or not, by the way. It's not like it's not like God's up in heaven and see see somebody sin and they're in this unrepentant sin, they've doubled down on it and they get hit by a bus and God the God's like, Oh, too bad. He hadn't repented yet. But no, I mean I just I don't want to make those judgments. I wouldn't let him join my church, I'll tell you that. Unless he showed me he demonstrated to me that he was rejecting that sin that he so obviously committed. All right. Now let's move on to he's got us. He's got us. I fell asleep on Sunday, and I didn't wake up until the third quarter of the Super Bowl. And I, it was a good game. By the time I turned it on, it was 10 to, 10 to 3, 49ers. It was real close. Then it looked like both defenses got tired and the scoring started. You know, it went to overtime. Great game. Uh, so it was. I like championship games like that. A lot of times, Super Bowls and national championships can be lopsided. So, over, as a football game, pretty good. But I slept through everything, and I missed at first the "He Gets Us" commercials. And if you're on Twitter and like Christian Twitter and Christian Facebook, like evangelical believing Twitter and Facebook, it hasn't. Been, it hadn't been 24 hours yet. And there's blogs and YouTube videos about how de- just awful and heinous the He Gets Us commercial was. So they had this He Gets Us commercial from the He Gets Us campaign with a cover of NXS's Never Tear Us Apart. I, I was standing, you were there, words collide, two worlds collided, know it's true. And they can never, ever tear us apart. So they had a cover of Never Tear Us Apart. And they had, like Christians are like washing a woman's feet outside of an abortion clinic. And then a police officer washing, I guess, is he supposed to be a criminal, a black dude's feet? Because I guess police officers and criminal and black people are against each other. I don't, what is that supposed to say? I don't know. And then you had a, a minister watching a homo, washing a homosexual's feet. And then it's just all these people in blatantly sinful lifestyles. I mean, I guess I, we have to assume the, the black guy's a criminal because there's a cop after him. I don't know. Or, I don't know. Maybe he's just black. There, which is obviously not a sin. But you have people procuring abortions, homosexuals, somebody, a, a, a policeman would chase, I don't know. And it says Jesus didn't preach hate. Jesus preached love. Or no, Jesus didn't preach hate. Jesus washed feet. And the commercial's like a big slap in the face to Christians, which is basically saying, you've marginalized all these groups because you hate them. That's not what Jesus preached. Okay. So, Jesus washed feet. <coughs> Whose feet did he wash? He washed his disciples' feet. Foot washing was a common part of his culture because people didn't have 
baths and showers. I mean, I, I guess people could take a bath, but didn't have running water. They certainly didn't have showers. You know when you go to the beach, and outside the beach house, there's a little shower and a hose, so you, or the condo, so you can hose your feet off after you get off the boardwalk? They didn't have that. They just walked around in the sand with nasty feet. So people, as a sign of hospitality, would wash their guests' feet when they came in. So foot washing was something that needed to be done, and Jesus took the posture of a servant to wash his disciples' feet. Yes, even Judas. But those were his friends. That was his inner circle, and he was showing them that even though he was the leader, he was humbling himself as a servant. He wasn't going out there and reconciling and approving with the sinful world. So I don't understand what the theological implication or what they're trying to teach theologically, if anything. I think what they're trying to do in this He Gets Us campaign is to say, well, you feel hated by Christians, but that's not Jesus. Jesus gets you. And by the way, this campaign's been woke from the beginning. Like, Jesus, Jesus gets us. He's been, he's been an illegal immigrant, too, because Jesus had to flee to Egypt from Herod. I mean, it's just... This, I wasn't su- surprised because he gets us has been woke from the start. Even Nam of the Southern Baptist Convention disassociated from he gets us. Tom Buck, pastor in Texas, wrote them and said, Hey, um, could you recommend a church for my transgender friend? And they wrote him back in like five minutes. Yeah, here's a, a transgender-friendly church. Jeff Maples wrote them, Could you pray for me? I'm having an abortion, and the people at my church are giving me a hard time about it. And they didn't say, Don't murder your baby. They just said, Oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. So it... He gets us as full of, like, wicked people. I, I get the idea. So maybe it's like easy believism. If we can get homosexual abortionists to say a prayer, they're saved. But it's just really woke. It's a huge appeal to the left and progressives and the people who hate God. And this latest Super Bowl commercial basically made it look, oh, the people you think of the church are wrong because they hate. Jesus doesn't do that. Like I said, I wasn't surprised. And I just sat there, and you know, ten years ago, is like we're after, nobody's going to say anything unless we write a pulpit and pen article. Like, no, there, there's more articles than I've had. I mean, I had time to read. I, I can't. I couldn't even research them all because I've been busy at work. And there's people just like, this is so horrible. And you know who funds that he gets this campaign? It's the Hobby Lobby people, the Green family, among others. There's an article on Evangelical Dark Web that tells you about who all the funding people are. So I looked at this this slogan. And by the way, the slogan is coming from this ad agency, Lerma, which is run by somebody who went to BYU. So he's either a Mormon or a lapsed Mormon or a non-Mormon who went to BYU. BYU is a good school. There are non-Mormons who go there. But basically, it's a bunch of Mormons. And so it's either a Mormon ad agency. I think they're somehow involved with the Chosen. And they, they, some, they found, all these internet sleuths found one of the marketing people who worked for the ad agency who worked on this campaign. And she is a leftist. She, is, she loves DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She, all these people, like the, 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 uh, 
the ad agency people have their pronouns in their bio. He, him, you know, she, her. And it, listen, going by your pronoun doesn't make you conservative. What makes you conservative and Bible-believing is not buying into the junk that you have to even say what your pronoun is. Like, I don't recognize that there can be anything different from me but he or him. Or say she or her for a woman. Anyway. Jesus wasn't conservative. Jesus was loved. You know, that's what they'd say if they heard me. They're just not conservative. You know what I mean by conservative. Biblical, Christian. Because the Bible doesn't change. Right and wrong doesn't change. And this woman, she's closed or she's cinched up her social media since. And there's a lot of free Palestine type stuff. Ugh. You shudder to believe what, what's supposedly funded, what's funded with supposedly Christian money. And, you know, there you look at Jesus being tempted in every way we were. Like, we have Jesus, who, who's a high priest. Yes, he's the high priest. He's the prophet, priest, and king. High priest in the order. He's the king. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But he, he can... He can sympathize with us and our sufferings because he, he came and he was tempted and he lived a life. So when you say stuff like he gets us, that's what I would think of. Like, yes, Jesus understands what it's like to be human. But Jesus didn't come down here to relate to our struggle. Jesus came because we were losing our struggle and we were destined to lose our struggle as humans. He came and lived a perfect human life that nobody else could. He didn't do it to empathize with us. Yes, he can, but he didn't do it for that reason. It's not like Jesus sees a, 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 a sinner, whether it just be anybody. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We've all sinned. Now, I don't identify as this quote-unquote sinner. I'm a saint. I'm redeemed. There's category, sinner and saint. And then there's someone who sinned before, and that's me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, you know, nobody really ostracizes me or stigmatizes me in Christian society, heterosexual, Baptist, married with kids, you know, MDiv, you know, licensed to the ministry. Nobody's going to look at me and say, uh, you know. But if, if you want to count homosexuals and people who murder their babies through abortion as marginalized, I don't. But I think the left does. Uh... Jesus is not like, I'm going to identify with these marginalized people. I know what it's like to be marginalized. No, you're not because of sin. Repent of your sins. So I thought, what would be better than he gets us? What would be a better message for Christians to think about? And I know it's the, the Super Bowl ad is supposed to be this evan- evangelistic, even apologetic ad towards the world. And it, it basically caters to the world, and they don't understand the things of God. But what, what's, what's a better message for us Christians, or we Christians, to take to heart? And I thought, you know what? He's got us. And I thought of two passages from John that I just, you know, kind of know off the top of my head. Jesus saying, I will lose none that the Father give to me. That's John, I think it's John uh, 6.19. I will lose none. And 
No matter what happens in the world, we should think about all that happens. In, the, in this world, you have, will have trouble, Jesus says. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So here, here's what we're doing. One of the world's biggest events is the Super Bowl. It is. And people watch it just for the TV commercials. People don't even care about football. I, I bet I haven't watched five NFL games this year. And I watched a half of this. And there's a halftime show that doesn't have anything to do with football that doesn't happen at every football game. It's another thing to get people to watch. It's a huge media event. It's, a, it's, it's not just a football game. It's something more. So it, And there's, by the way, there's nothing sinful about having a football game. Uh, so it is a huge event in the world. Okay? A huge event in the world. I'll, pr- I'll probably never go to a, a, a Super Bowl. If I was a big NFL fan, I'd want to. I've been to the World Series, been to a national championship game. Like, if I cared, it'd be a big deal. So if you care about NFL football, that's something you want to go to. But even ladies who never watch football all year were like, I want to see the commercials, and I want to see Taylor Swift smile when Travis Kelsey scores. Like, they're sitting there cheering for the Chiefs, and they didn't know who Travis Kelsey was a month ago. I did. I know who Travis Kelsey was because I, I mean, I keep up with football. Anyway, it's this big event in the world. And what happened in front of the watching world that people who are supposedly Christians spent like $100 million on? I mean, somebody, maybe it wasn't $100 million, Maybe it was like 40 But it was millions of dollars. Enough money that could have put 100 missionaries in Africa for their whole lives. They spent this money to basically slap believing Christians in the face and misrepresent Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. People will hate you on my account. That's what Jesus said. But he said, take heart, take comfort. I have overcome the world. Not I will overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And I don't care how many words of Jesus they twist. And I don't care how many rock bridges and cross points open up. And moralistic therapeutic deism churches and churches like Joel Austin, okay? And mainline churches. And real live persecution of Christians because you know, I, nobody around here is getting killed or thrown to the lions, but it still happens in some some places in the world. But no matter what, he's got us because he said who 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 gave us to Jesus? The Father did. I will not lose any of the whom the Father has given me. And if we believe in Jesus, says we'll have eternal life. And he says, none will slip out of my hand. They're, nobody's going to get taken from my hand. You know your kid, you say, he's got the whole world in his hand, but he's got the church too. He's got the elect in his hand. And the Father's put the elect there in his hand. And did you imagine... Jesus has a closed fist and you're in it. And no matter what happens in the world and how many cockamamie Super Bowl ads they make to besmirch the church, there's nothing the devil or anybody else can do to remove us from Jesus' hand and our eternal life and our, our sealing to the day of redemption. So I thought to myself, what's a better phrase? He's got us. No, no, not he gets us. No, 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 sinners. He understands you and your sin. And he'll forgive you. But you better repent. You better that he gets his people will lead you straight to hell. Okay? But Christians, he's got us.
he's got us. <clears throat> and isn't that a comforting statement? And that's what you can say to people. He's got us. Don't you want Jesus to have you? You don't want Jesus to identify with you in your sin. Jesus is a sinner, but oh, don't you want Jesus to forgive you? He's got us. That gives me great comfort. So, I trademarked that phrase today. He's got us. Because I want to make t-shirts. Because I, I want that message out there. Uh, by, by say, I want to make t-shirts, I'm going to call somebody who's artistic and can make t-shirts and tell them to make the t-shirts and, you know, give me a dollar every time they sell one. I don't know what licensing fees for t-shirts are. And I don't want people going to hegetsus.com. I want people going to he's got us.com. I've been buying a lot of web domains lately. He's got us.com was $1499. It was for sale at GoDaddy. It's just parked. I don't know I don't know why somebody bought it. But I bought he's got us.org for $9.99. And I'm going to put something there. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And I know a lot of the buzz will go away pretty fast. Viral things, like it's like COVID. COVID's a bad virus, right? Well, you know, after a week, you don't have it anymore. And after a couple of days, you don't feel bad anymore. So viral things come quick and they go away. This is not going to be viral forever. But I want there to be a he's got us.org. I want people to be able to walk around with a he's got us t-shirt with a scripture reference on it so they can explain the hope they have in Jesus. So he's got us. While we're all sitting around and being offended on social media, remember, he's got us. And speaking of offensive things, I'm on Old Mill Road in Cartersville, Georgia, at the intersection of Etowah Drive and Old Mill Road. And I'm turning left, and if I didn't, I would roll right by Cross Point City Church. If you want to know why you shouldn't go to the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, Kaboom, Goat Church, Goat Show Church, you can go to whycrosspoint.com. Whycrosspoint.com. Sermon reviews about why you shouldn't go to Cross Point. So let's, let's, let's review some of the websites I've, I've started lately. Whyrockbridge.com, whycrosspoint.com, and he's got us.org, which I haven't got set up yet. So I don't know where that'll go. If anybody wants one of those t-shirts, you could make your own t-shirt. I'm going to sue you. I did trademark it today. I was like, no, this, this I'm going to trademark this and I'm going to make a lot of t-shirts and have a better message than he gets us. But if you want to go to your local t-shirt shop and make one, what do I care? Uh, just don't go selling them because I trademarked it. Trademarks are expensive by the way. So he's got us, trademark. But really, he's got us. And there's a very poignant and powerful video on YouTube that somebody made called He Saves Us. You can look at this. He Saves Us that somebody made real fast. I'm not going to try and trademark He Saves Us because that sounds horrible. That's just the gospel, isn't it? He Saves Us. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again on Thursday. As always, God bless, and as always, remember, Christianity is not 
about getting saved. It's Thanks about for being listening saved. to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.